Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is the Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. My guest today is Randy Burgess. He's currently the VP of Technology at MPI Media Group. Previously, he worked as a Senior Engineering Manager at Shipwell and Hierology, as well as a Coding Bootcamp Instructor at Northwestern University. Randy shares his non-traditional approach for interviewing technical candidates, shares tips for overcoming interview anxiety, and we talk about a number of other interesting interview-related topics. Thank you so much for, for being here today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to introduce you, it's Randy Burgess from currently working as the VP of technology at MPI Media Group based here in Chicago, formerly worked at Hierology and Shipwell. And then a number of years ago, actually taught as a instructor at a coding bootcamp based at a Northwestern University. Yes, exactly. Did I miss anything? That is it. Like that's the most important stuff I'd say. Great. Cool. Well, uh, could you share a little bit about your, your current role and kind of what you, you and your team do now? Yeah. I mean, right now I'm with a company. I've been here about on full time about a week. Um, I've worked with this company over the last decade um, in contractor roles. The first, my first job with them was I was a hands-on software engineer with a consulting outfit called DevMind um, at the time. And now, what is their name now? I've already forgotten. Um, uh, but they're in Chicago. Or Tandem, Not maybe? I think they've changed a couple times. Yeah, I can't remember yeah. either. Um, they'll shoot me if I don't find it out again. But, uh, <laughs> I can put it in the show. Tandem. Tandem. That's yeah. what it is now. Look up, if you want to search them up, just look up JC Grubbs, the founder. And that's who you'll find. Um, but the tandem is the name of the company now. And so they were, they were, a, MPI was a client of DevMind. I worked on a project with them. As tandem DevMind evolved, they kind of quit working with MPI and MPI asked DevMind, hey, can we work, continue working with me? So I worked with them on a contracting basis. I had my own agency for a little while and worked with them. And then eventually they came to me with some other bigger projects. And I just said, like, I can't do all this stuff for you part time. Like, it's just not cost effective. And we kind of came to a conclusion that, hey, full time might be the best route to go. So right now I don't have a team per se. I don't have um a group of engineers like i worked with at shipwell the previous role i had a team of i don't know 25 people engineers and stuff and then at hierology maybe it was 15 across two teams it was a handful so yeah. Um, so now, like my role, like at Hierology and Shipwell, I was in nine to five Zoom meetings. Um, both were remote roles. Um, I was either in Chicago or Kansas City now, and now, now it's much more of a less meeting, more get stuff done, and we are at the very beginning of this really large project list that we're trying to prioritize and scope out 
And then from there, we'll find out, do we need to hire individuals contracting mm. versus full-time versus like what's the best or hire a consulting firm build versus buy. We're looking at all the options. So right now it's pretty much in a um, assessment mode in the first week. Um, in addition to me just doing hands-on code again, because the I've got projects that they still want to get done faster and I can focus on that. Yeah. Nice. Uh, have you done, it sounds like this role was a pre-existing relationship, right? So I'm assuming there wasn't a, you know, formal technical interview process. No. Have you done technical interviews for, you know, for yourself or when you were at Shipwell, you know, when you were hiring as well recently? Yeah. Well, Shipwell does technical interviews. I don't, con I did not conduct the technical ones. I did participate in technical interview in, in a technical interview with Shipwell hierology did not do the one if i remember um and then for the co other co there were technical interviews that folks either put me through or tried to um because i <laughs> because you know i'll say it up front most technical interviews are bs yeah and i am have a very strong opinion on the industry's interviewing approach and the, the great divide between what people assess in a technical interview and what a person's actual job and the role actually is. Sure. And like, why would you test people on a level of, of detail or in an, a direction that doesn't actually judge what they would do the day they walk in? And yeah. I find that to be one, it just, it puts the entire all the people looking for work in a bad spot they're focusing on the wrong things they're not building skills they're building testing you know get past test technique kind of like getting into college and sat testing it's like does does that does the sat score really reflect what you're going to be learning when you get there yeah. but if you're an employer the job you're looking to to i need to assess if this person can get the job done mm -hmm. and when oftentimes almost every time I've been in a technical interview or asked to do one, I'm like, this doesn't judge what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So I, I go a different direction if I'm conducting the interview and now I'm at the point in my career and this, and this is definitely privilege of experience title, what have you. Um, I just say, no, I'm not doing it anymore. Like, yeah. don't waste my time with it. And there's times that I just don't even get the opportunity to talk to a company, which is totally fine. And there are times when they say, you know what? We agree with what you just, like, they asked me why. I had to explain why. And they're like, that actually makes sense. Let me talk to someone. Let's see if we can punt it. And I've found that the companies that punt it actually are the ones that are the most flexible with thinking about you know maybe what we're doing here isn't right mm. or can be improved and there are more companies i want to work with the companies that are very rigid is in all cases i really don't want to work there anyway because you'll sure. find yourself following somebody else's workflow and stuff that has no bearing on on other things you're supposed to do and you're always beholden to it and it's like yeah so that's it's 
like I've been, it's, it's not like I'm, I'm not saying to people that are in kind of your audience, which are probably younger, less experienced folks. Hey, take my attitude and you'll do well because that's, they don't have kind of that outlet that I have to, to stand up and go, I'm not doing this. This is stupid. Um, part of the process of getting into a company is jumping through the hoops they put you through. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say that people should just do that uh, or try to skip it because the job, the, the problem is, is when you don't have work, it's chicken or the egg. How do you get experience if you don't have, if you're not working somewhere? Right. So part of the balance is teaching the people doing the interview, like that are conducting interviews and hiring, you need to change how you do this system while on the other hand, hey, if you are a, if you're trying to get work, what's the best way to prepare and still go through the the gauntlet um, because you can't avoid it? Yeah. Um, and I'm just in a position where I can avoid it, but that doesn't mean everyone can. I don't ever want to make the assumption that everyone can just do what I do now, um, 20 years in the industry. It just yeah. doesn't work that way for a lot of folks. Yeah. When you're, so as an interviewer, when you are interviewing someone, if you're going a different route than, than a traditional technical, right. What are you evaluating for uh, when you're speaking with someone say, you know, maybe early career and also maybe more mid-level or more senior. Uh, I mean, this kind of goes with everybody for what I'm hiring them for, but aptitude and attitude, top two things. Um, integrity and other values definitely fit in there, but those are the top two things I'm looking for aptitude and attitude, meaning aptitude to me is, I don't care if you know, every tech technical thing that my role, that the role needs, mm -hmm. I want to know that in technology, in our in the field that I'm that my company's in, that our team is in, working in, that you have an aptitude, meaning you run into a problem, you can get past it, you can learn past it, you can build your skills up. There are people that you introduce them to brand new technology. You see it in a boot camp scenario, you see it in a new job. They hit a wall, they can't, they can't get past it, or they don't have they either don't have the ability to, or they don't really want to. Mm, it's like, yeah. it's like when, when you put a brand new Mac in front of my mom, she'd be like, I have no windows. I don't want to do this. It's yeah. like her aptitude for Mac is not there. Her aptitude for windows. She's got enough of a history. She can work her way through it. It's no different when you introduce someone that's trying to get into technology and they stare at a screen versus they start Googling things, they start mm -hmm. hacking on things, they test things, they don't, they, it may take them an hour, but they'll get past that little bug because they have an aptitude about, around technology for improving, learning, solving problems. Yeah. So that's a, that's one strong aspect I'm looking for when I'm interviewing someone at a junior level because they just don't like at, at a junior level they don't have the technology experience that's going to match the role like right. the whole idea is i'm hiring them to learn up 
and move into that spot. So aptitude is by far the strongest thing I can look for to see, can they go from point A to Z, which is where I want them to be in a few months after I hire them. Um, Attitude is, can you fit in with our team? Do you have the attitude that fits a core value? Like the best core value of any company I've been at um, is the no asshole core value that Hireology has. Yeah. And they are very strong on it. Um, I remember when I interviewed the CTO, that was the one thing he stressed the most to me. Mm. Um, like, and it, per, it was definitely a factor when you got there, they weren't, assholes weren't tolerated and we, they didn't have any, like, I really didn't run into people that were assholes at Hierology. Um, Shipwell had a similar one that was unofficial called No Jerks. And they really did a good job. I, I, I just, we didn't have those type of attitudes. We had people that were willing to help each other patient with each other optimistic for the most part um as optimistic as they could be and just kind of cool to work with just yeah like nothing excitable just more chill and that attitude is what you want for someone who you're asking to come in and learn because they're going to get frustrated they're going to have to they're going to have to reach out for help and attitude is a big part of that, of how do you handle, um, how do you handle different people, different personalities? How do you handle the problems that are put in front of you that you don't have mm-hmm. answers for? How do you deal with the stress that you have from just normal work environment? How do you work with managers that have to give you priorities that may not fit exactly what you want to do, but you, we need to all get them done together. That's what I'm looking for on the attitude side. So when I take those two factors at a junior, less experienced level, mm-hmm. I typically find that everything else works out. I just yeah. don't, I, I don't need to judge specifically, do you know what hoisting is in JavaScript? Can you explain how to map over a collection of data right this second in front of me in a nervous situation can't like i don't or whatever these stupid sort bubble crap tests are like none of that matters because you know what i'm going to do if you put that in front of me as a 20 year old 20 year vet i want to google how do you do in this language like i don't remember no one memorizes that stuff and if they do great for them but most people that's not what i'm looking for i don't want junior engineers that just memorize a bunch of leak code things and read the cracking the interview books just to get in the door like yeah. it's smart to do that it's the hoop you have to jump through for a lot of jobs but that's not what i want to hire on i want to hire people with that aptitude and attitude component at the senior level as i as people move up that i'm hiring for more senior roles I want to know more about their leadership and management experience. And those are the scenarios. Like instead of aptitude for this tech, it's like aptitude for empathy. Um, what's the, like, what level of empathy do you have with people? How do you deal with stress with people? Um, those kind of things. But again, 
And, the, and then at the technical level for a senior person, I'm really going to find out more about them when they talk about projects they, they've been on and when they run, like how they get, like I, I have discussions with them about things they've accomplished and then references. And there's yeah. this weird thing in the industry now where people have, like people, like the hardest thing as an interviewer is talking to, to strange, like I get this might be a human thing. No one wants to talk to strangers. Sure. It's, it, it's like, calling up random folks and talking to them about potentially stressful things. And in, if your whole work life as a manager is meetings, it's like adding four or five meetings for a candidate yeah. to your schedule. It's, it's not, it's not immediately like joyful tasks, but if you really want to know, if the person you're hiring is going to, is a risky candidate or going to fulfill what you need, you want to talk to people that can speak to their work before. Sure. Because they can tell you in a very short time, rather than a 30 minute to one hour or a half day take home test. Can this person code as you needed them to do? Can they manage people like you needed them to? And there's this, this attitude has gone through this HR tells me we can't answer those things. Yeah, we can only yeah. say BS It's total BS. If you ask a candidate, give me a reference. You can find it really quick. If a reference is just friend of a friend pumping them up yeah, or, yeah. Hey, I can speak to the fact in like a 10 minute conversation. This person is great. I wish I could keep them. I wish you know, 22 years ago, we could have kept them then. They did everything we needed. They were great with the team. They got through all these things. Yeah. Or, you know, I don't know why they put me on this list. We didn't have the greatest experience with them. That's all I really want to say. Okay, I hear you. Yeah. But you, it's very rare that you don't get like, I'm not going to call up HR, like the HR department of a company that someone worked at. I'm like, don't give me that person unless you really yeah. think they can speak to me. It's tell me, give me the names of managers you've worked for. And they can be good experiences. I don't need to have you give me people you didn't like working with. Like, like that's not what I need. To, I'm looking on the optimistic level. Give me the names of people that can vouch for your work. And, and projects you worked on with them, I can ask them the questions to find out, are they blowing smoke up my butt? Or are they going to tell me the real deal? And yeah. that's where I really like it skips everybody's time making a senior engineer waste time on coding tests. And it gets me to the point of, if I hire this person, is there a, a good likelihood that they will succeed here? Yeah. And I mean, almost all, like I can't think of a time that I didn't get past the aptitude and attitude assessment, liked them a lot. And then I got references that countered that. I've just never really seen it. But if I want, if you want to like really verify, can this person code in a business scenario that I need them to, you talk to people they've worked with before. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be. Like I've hired folks at a junior level 
and talk to previous managers of theirs about scenarios they were in on their jobs. Mm. Because again, I'm assessing on aptitude and attitude. So I'm going to ask their references about those type of things, how they deal with stress. How do they deal with other people on their team? And I get enough answers to know if this person applies themselves here, like they did in this non-technical role at another place, the likelihood of them succeeding is great. Yeah. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm making the bet on. I don't need to bat a hundred on every hire. Um, I'd say I'm batting about 90% over my career. I just haven't made a lot of bad hires. I've made hires where over time they didn't like doing that job or they wanted to do something else or my company couldn't pay more. So time went on and they moved on, but I really done pretty well with, I need to hire for this role is this person a good fit? And it comes down to networking, which is a, another big component I would put on here for juniors, but networking, aptitude and attitude, references. Yeah. Those four things. And if you're a lazy ass manager and don't want to do those things, references, kick that out. Um, and networking, kick that out and just hand everything to the HR department to hand you candidates, and then you go put them through a ringer, okay, then you'll have a lazy process for hiring that will likely not hit a 90% mark on successful hires. But if you, a manager, realize that your number one, the number most successful, the, the number one thing that you can do for a team is hire exceptional people. Yeah you'll actually put that time in and realize that if you spend eight to 16 hours on, on each role or each person that you've brought in successfully, they will do so much for your team that you have the time to do all that. Yeah. But if all you do is hire bad people because you go let the HR department do it for you, like just by themselves, then yeah, you're going to be busy as crap managing mediocre people like it, it kind of there's a cause and effect here um i think that's why rant, so many. has this rant gone on long enough? no it's <laughs> great I, I think that that lower hit ratio is why so many people have those arbitrary text screens too because they go well if they can reverse yeah. a, a tree then they aren't reverse a link list and they must be able to do the job we need. Right. And I'm not going to do all the rest of those things to, to figure it out. Right. So, yeah. or if they're hiring once in a while, I do see if you're hiring at massive scale, right. It is difficult to do all of those things because like your network does eventually run out versus if you're hiring maybe even 25 people a year, right. That's a lot. Once you get above that, I think it does get harder and harder. So then you see more of those arbitrary screens, but I think there's still, certainly better options right and at scale hopefully you could scale that across your team right like can i get other people involved who are also networking and also um involving references right so you can scale that to some extent right? yeah you, but yeah so that's like yeah you're the point you make is good as you scale and you have to hire tons of people what can one person do yeah but the truth is, is you, as a manager, you have other people working with you. Mm -hmm. It's your job to teach them 
how to interview and conduct the work, the hiring process like you need them to. Yeah, absolutely. And if you just tell like at a previous role, we would bring in candidates and they were getting this hammered by certain engineers on algorithm tests. Mm-hmm. Now I said day one, if we kick this test out, I won't cry. Like this is, I think this is a waste of time. And we had good candidates getting booted. Or we had good candidates that were getting huge marks on aptitude attitude by the people that interviewed them on less technical things. And then the technical interview were just completely destroy them. And I'm like, I don't know. I got a really good assessment of this person's technical ability but let, let's find out what the interviewers are asking them and we were i was just like this is not testing them on what we need them to do so then we went to the engineer and said why are you doing it this way he's like this is how i did it in my last company and this is what i was told to do here i'm like oh hold on stop that yeah change have one let's have some empathy for these people in the role they're in like a lot of engineers, in, in my assessment, have forgot, like, as soon as they get on the other side of the interview table, they forget what it was like before. Sure. Yeah. Emp- empathy is understanding the emotional aspect of the people on the other side. And you can teach that. You can tell your interview, the folks that as you're scaling your interview team, think about the position they're in like we have people that we'd be putting people through four hours of interviews and i go into the interview and i'm like hey do you need a break do you need water and they're like thanks for asking i need to use the bathroom i'm like what did the last three people ask you they're like nobody asked i'm like that's just ridiculous there's a very like you but you're it's up to you as the manager as a person that knows what someone's going through on the other side to teach your team mm-hmm. how to be good interviewers, how yes. to be graceful to how to understand the emotional impact that these folks interviewing are going through. So can you scale it? Yes. Does it take work? Yeah, hell yeah, yeah. it takes work. But it, there's no excuse in my mind. I don't get, care if you're at IBM, uh, not IBM. <laughs> That's a horrible example. I don't care if you're at Facebook or any fang company or any company of huge scale. If you are the per- if you're the manager that needs to put these people on your team, it behooves you to work with the people that are part of your interview process to understand how you want them to work, yeah. to embrace what you know to be the best way to treat interviewees and the best way to have a process that actually gets to that point. And I don't think that you can just, if you're at a company and your attitude is, well, there's just too many candidates. We just have to weed them out. I'm like, okay, that's a great, that that's just not a company I want to work at myself. Yeah. But I just don't think that it's, there's any excuse for it. Like you hiring as part of a manager leader's job and to, and to make that like one of your lowest priorities is almost counterintuitive to like, how do you want to, your team to be successful in the first place? Right. So I, I just don't take the, 
when things scale, you can't network and you exhaust your network. If you got scale at that level, your network should be mushrooming. Yeah. It should be getting bigger and bigger. Because when I go to the engineers on my team and go, who do you know? I don't have to know them. Like my network does not include everyone I personally know. I looked at LinkedIn. I got, I have the two degree contacts all over the place. Right. Like that is part of my network, whether I know them or not, whether I can reach out and go, you want to work with me again? It's more of, do you want to work with the junior engineer I hired? Yeah. Who I don't, I be, I'm three degrees from them because I haven't connected to them on LinkedIn, but their people are part of my network too. So you're, when you scale and get bigger and you're trying to hire a, ma- a greater number of people, you should think of your network as also getting exponentially scaling at the same time. And LinkedIn just simply brought that to our attention on a more data-driven level, I think. It's an indication too of how how strong your team is and also how much they enjoy working there, right? Because every place I've worked yeah. in the past that I, I really truly enjoyed, I tried to bring people in, right? Where I said, we got to interview so-and-so and we got to get so-and-so on board um, versus places where I was you know, a little unsure. Maybe uh, if they ask explicitly, who do you know? Yeah. And I go, oh, you should reach out to so-and-so. But if they ask me, I'm going to go, it's fine. Like uh, <clears throat> maybe not my favorite place, right? Yeah. I, I'm curious, do you have a standardized system that you're using when you're talking about aptitude and attitude? Like, is it, you know, I ask these five questions every single time, or I have some type of rubric that I'm working through, or does that change depending on kind of the person in the role? Every time I've had a, like, yes, I've had a system. And then after two questions, it falls apart. Meaning the person takes either, either one, I figure out really quick this is a waste of our time, which I just, I'm not one to take an interview all to the whole 30 minutes when it just seems like this person doesn't want to answer questions. This person doesn't feel like they need to explain specifics. Um, when I, of the questions I'm asking, I'm just like, Oh, I, do you have any questions for me? Uh, like if I do that within 10 minutes of the interview going on, you'll know that, things aren't going well but the what I look for is people to take me on a take me on a ride so to speak Mm. when I start asking questions about experience and projects I just want us to start riffing on what you've what you've laid out at the beginning and I find that I like I get really good examples of work experience problem solving, teamwork, um, how you like, how you interact with people and communication. And I just kind of take it from there. I don't, I don't feel this need, like every little question I have um, needs to be answered by, by me asking it. Mm-hmm. Like almost every time I'm in an interview where the preliminary kind of processes of like getting to know the person is going they fill in the blanks because we're along the way talking about projects and stuff so i just don't have again i know a lot of a lot of companies want or a lot of managers want they teach the recruiting by just saying 
hey, you walk into this interview with a person you don't know for a role you barely are familiar with. This is how it has to work because we're all busy. Ask these questions and answer yeah. these things. But I just don't, I, I just don't approach it like that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not an HR manager's dream <laughs> in that <laughs> case, but that's just like, for me, I always have an approach that I do with juniors that is way different than seniors. Mm -hmm. And I start on, I, I start looking at resumes and start asking questions. And then we just kind of take it from there. Yeah. Great. I, I like that. And I think the idea of it being more conversational too, especially if it's sharing some about themselves up front and then that kind of um, segues into the rest of the conversation, it, it emphasizes how important it is to be able to tell your story and to be able to kind of summarize, you know, what are you about? What are you interested in doing? Right. What have you done yeah. in the past? And I feel like that's a skill that, you know, people when they're thinking about interviewing they go oh it's technical i gotta do all my leak code stuff and then someone says well tell me about your you know your last job and they go uh you know i wrote software for a website or I wrote software right in this industry and they can't tell you a a story right and they i used to when i was at actualize focus a lot on like can you tell someone like how did you get to where you are now and then what you want to yeah. do going forward right and if you can you know if you've done enough research about the company how does that align with what the company's interested in right and like at least that puts you in the right spot you might still bomb the technical but at least they'll go oh we like yeah. this person right like they they seem to like they could be a good per person who would work here in the future right even if they're not ready right now right at yeah. least that get, puts you in the right starting spot so like so here's what i this is kind of a quasi answer to your do you have a list of questions when i talk to a junior i look at their the, the biggest problem for juniors and they all run into it i know it's a common thing they've got the projects they worked on at their boot camp or how they were learning to move into the industry um, or they have one initial, like, oh, I was an intern and this is what I worked on. And it's, and there's a lot of managers that just punt that stuff. They're like, I don't care about those. They're projects. We don't yeah. work on projects here. We're, we work on bu important business things. And I'm like, okay, I understand the attitude that a boot camp project, because I taught these things. I know a boot camp project is massively different than a work business project. But they're, again, going after the aptitude thing, um, I started out the wrong approach. I would go through and look at the three or four projects someone had from a boot camp and go, tell me about this project. Tell me about that project. The problem was is that the answers I was getting would go into well, the professor or the instructor yeah. set us up for this. And that, that could be like a 15 minute conversation on project. I'm like, okay, stop. <laughs> I, had to, I had to basically say, all right, this is not what I want to ask you. Give me one thing you learned mm. in each of these. And you don't have longer than five minutes for all of them. We got to get through all of them. All of a sudden, boom, the person would look at the project and they go, I learned how to map, how, how to write an API that connected to a database. Hmm. Um, this one, I didn't learn much. I got stuck on this one thing. And, you know, then they kind of go into where they got stuck. And I start saying, well, how did, why did you get stuck? Why didn't you do this or that? And then they would explain 
like why, why they got stuck but it was an honest conversation that didn't make me like i love the honesty yeah like i want to know can you get unstuck in the future what did you learn from that and you know and then the third project was i learned how to do uh you know some kind of charting high charts or something to do reports for that particular project well when they all of a sudden told me three things they learned yeah i learned about aptitude because they go into each project not knowing this stuff um and also when you do these group projects with a boot camp you don't get to do everything right sometimes you don't even get to choose what you're doing because somebody was really forceful and goes in and does the fun database stuff or something like that so my thing is to go in and get the to get engineers talking about things they've learned problems they run into thing how they get past them how they get over that learning curve mm-hmm. i have a really in-depth technical discussion with them that a lot of managers are kicking out because they don't think that the boot camp projects matter mm-hmm. and i'm like well if you're hiring inexperienced engineers how do you i just don't understand i don't get that but you also can't do what i did at the beginning which is say tell me about them because it's too broad you got to really you want to narrow down be efficient with your time you need to say to the interviewee tell me what you learned one thing you can't Mm -hmm. give me two one thing and you'll see it and then by that time we're 20 minutes into the interview and i've learned what i need to know about okay how do we go to the next step and then I'll dive into, you know, how do you problem solve? How do you ask for, like, do you ask for help? Do you work in a, do you like to work in a, in a closet and by yourself? Um, like all these different approaches to how do I assess if you can work well with our team? But by getting someone past the point of, well, the instructor set up the project like this or that, which yeah, I, yeah. is like irrelevant to me, um, that's how I typically approach lesser experienced engineers um, trying to find out what their aptitude is. Yeah, I think uh, you actually gave me some great advice when we spoke when I was doing my initial job search. I think I was starting to talk about some products I'd done. And then later I got into some um, some consulting work, like some basically freelance stuff that I had started doing. And you said, leave that project stuff behind like that's great right it's your boot camp stuff but like you're doing actual paid development work yeah. now like focus on that and lead with that and that changed everything for me i was like okay every conversation i have like that's what i'm starting with right and it did feel yeah. like it took i don't know every single conversation i had especially interviews went from okay well let me tell you about these projects and then i'm doing a little bit of this too let me start with this and if we get to this project stuff that's cool right if you really want to yeah. know about it i can tell you about it but Here's what I'm doing that I actually get paid for, right? And I could do for your yeah. company. So, so that was great. What advice. I was so the what you have to go for there, like what is the lesson to be learned from that is interviewers have bias. Yeah. And our, and we're now in a society in a world right now that is really coming to terms with bias. Mm-hmm. Um like flat out racism, all the way to people that consider themselves. I don't have bias, but then just every action behavior they have has an element to it. It's impossible, even for me, to not have bias when I'm talking to people yeah. of some kind, especially in an interview level. So if you're a candidate, the discussions you need to be having with your 
friends that are also candidates at the boot camp level, at the junior level, at the internship level, whatever you're interviewing for. Hey, when you go into these interviews, where do you think you're turning? Like, where do you see the biases in the interviews, interviewers and the interview process? Mm-hmm. Um, like, that's what you want. Mm-hmm. And, and so I know a little bit because of how I first thought how I looked at those projects my cat's kind of flipping out sorry but um there's a bias to against the projects versus real world work yeah and I know about that bias and that's why I was telling you avoid this bias avoid avoid this blocker you aren't going to run into and if you have if they ask you about it cool they but that goes for everything if it's wearing a collared shirt on a video screen, like, do I care if someone wears a collared shirt? No. Have I seen it matter to people? Have I heard other CTOs talk about that they think it matters? Yes. Yeah. I think it's ridiculous, but that doesn't matter if you're trying to get the job there. So you talk to people about, hey, do they want my video screen on? Yes if that company wants the video screen on and you don't, you're falling into, you're going to go right into a bias path with them. So it's really imperative to talk to your network who are also interviewing with you and find out how are they reacting to you? Now, there's also the factor that of things you can't change. Do they, does this company embrace only white dudes? It's a very important thing to know if yeah. you are on it, if you're not a white dude, it's a, it's a bias that you, if you need a job, you can't just walk around, but it's good to know if you actually have options and you're like, you know what, I'm going to avoid these, these companies that diversity doesn't matter to them at all. Yeah. Um, and the same goes for women versus hire, like company that only hires men, like look at the makeup of their team. So a lot, like there's all these elements to the, the companies you choose in the interview process, but by getting ahead of these things, you've got a very short window. Like that's why I was telling you, you've got a short window to talk about projects. Mm-hmm. The faster that you get to your discussion to focus on the things that I know there's manager bias around, the faster you'll go around that bend and go, there's going to be another level of bias above that but you'll find that out from your network and you'll be able to maneuver faster where you're getting to the point with these folks. So that, I mean, I've been in interviews when I was younger where I interviewer asked me one question. I talked the whole time about some, something that I could just ramble on for days. By the end of the interview, they didn't know anything about me that they needed to ask. It was my fault because I totally just, rambled on and on now if i had talked to someone and said and or now you've got these websites that actually talk about the interview process there is not a situation where you go into an interview that you shouldn't look at a company's glass door yeah or any other interview review kind of sites whether indeed or that some of these others are doing that i don't know but you should do all the research really look and see in the last six months, 
what are the people that are going into these interviews before you saying? Now, most of them are negative and they may be very isolated as to this person didn't like how they were treated um, in, in one instance or something, but sometimes you'll get a grasp of, oh, they really care about this. Yeah. That's what you want to emphasize. They don't care about this. Don't ramble on too long about it. Like yeah. you, you're trying to find out, you're trying to navigate a, a human, a, a human based biased process that may or may not be efficient to get yourself higher up into the candidate list mm -hmm. to the point that they want to, that they like you and they want to hire you. And the best way to navigate it is by asking the people that have gone there before you or that are and understand too that all these companies are very much following the same things very lazy yeah. they're all just copying each other and you'll find yourself in the same scenarios it's just really important to like pay attention to the landscape and really see like what's the best way for me to move up this ladder full of the problematic humanistic like inefficient processes that they are and you'll succeed better you, you improve your chances of success when you don't go into it cold yeah that's yeah i think interviewing so often as a game especially early in your career and even you know i think that the middle maybe a lot less but it, certainly at the end of your career as well or the the latter half of your career it's a game of inches sometimes, right? It's like the difference between yeah. like, you know, the person who gets hired and who is number two in line, some kind of do very small things, right? Especially if it's, yeah. we have one role, right? We only have one and we can only hire one, you know, VP of engineering, or we can only hire one junior engineer this year. Sometimes it's, oh, well, you know, they mentioned this thing that just happens to align with something the CTO likes. And that's the bump that puts them over the other person who was probably just as qualified, right? Yes. So, um, totally. any, any edge you can get is useful, right? Do you have any tips specifically I, for folks who, you know, aren't in the the spot where they're able to kind of step away from technical interviews, if yep. they're it, preparing, preparing for interviews and they know I'm going to have to do technicals, be it take home or whiteboarding, or do you have tips for folks who are going into that situation? So I don't think it's any different than public speaking. Like think of, if you think about, let's say you're doing a live coding scenario. Mm-hmm. It's no, the anxiety that people get for doing that is very, very similar to you're about to talk to a bunch of people in a room and give us a, a speech or a presentation. Mm -hmm. The only way to alleviate that is to practice it. Yeah. And that doesn't mean practice just the code. That means do it in front of people. Do it. That means get like the way you overcome, like the, in, a, in an interesting way, the way you overcome public speaking anxiety is to learn to focus on what you're presenting and ignore the, the silent audience as much as you can. To not look at your, like if you're a, like from my, the first thing I learned as an instructor in front of a bunch of people was, oh, when I look out, their faces are full of concentration. They look angry. Yeah, they look yeah. like they're bored. Yeah. Truth is, they're just trying to like 
process all this new information I'm giving them, it's not something that smiles come back at you with. So the same thing applies when you're trying to code in front of people. They, they are focused. They're not going to, one, they probably don't want to be in the room anyway. They got other stuff to do. But the other thing is they're focused on what you're doing. They're not going to smile at you. Mm-hmm. They are trying to, a lot of them are throwing curveballs at you. They want to see you perform. They're looking for gotchas and stuff. But the best thing that you can do is teach yourself to lower your anxiety and focus less on them and more of what's the problem I'm trying to solve here. But you only do that with practice. Yeah. Especially if you don't do that. I mean, truth is nobody really goes and does whiteboard testing as their daily work. No one does that in school. No one does it in their job. That's why it's such a crappy way to approach, but to do, I don't want to go down that path. The biggest thing is if you're going to be put into situations time and time again, then you need to get your friends that are also somewhat in your field or at least can represent an audience and code problems in front of them Mm -hmm. so that you lower your anxiety because the anxiety and tension rises when you do these things now there's no there's nothing there's no doubt you must prepare for the test yeah going into any of these one like all the folks that do the fang interviews they they constantly talk amongst themselves on various platforms about what the tests they saw prepare for them. Like there's just no excuse. You want to work at Google. You need to know what Google's giving people to test on. Is it cheating? I don't know because the the word is out there. Does Google think it's cheating? Yeah. Like exactly. Like I don't know. They're still going to give you problems. You just need to know the area that you need to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And being prepared on that level, there's nothing that can replace that. But the other level is the anxiousness and the tension that a human being goes through when they have to do these problem-solving things in front of others. And the more that you can practice and get past that level of nervousness, the better you'll think in, the te- in these tests and the better you'll present to the people in the like that are part of the audience yeah and you it's not something that just comes natural to anybody like sure i guess yeah there are people that they they may have the vanity side that loves an audience um the engineering field is not full of that many extroverts that i found and it's the least happy thing that people do but being prepared and then practicing problem solving in front of an audience to lower that anxiety you get are the top two things I would recommend to people. And everyone can get an audience. Like people do the, like, if you say, I don't have enough people in my life mm-hmm. that I can really like, I would never bring my mom into one because she'd start just talking about other stuff, right? Let's say you don't have an audience immediately available go on Twitch. Like people play, people are doing all sorts of things in their lives on video. Now, if anything can get you over a zoom audience anxiety, it's going on Twitch 
and solving problems in front of a Twitch audience. Yeah. Like that's the type of thing that I would start to do and focus on is go after the anxiety aspect, be prepared. And there's plenty of tools available to be prepared. So like, we don't even need to go through that. It's understand that it's completely natural and normal for you to be anxious trying to solve problems in front of an interviewer in front of an audience in front of a room of people you if you want to do better you have to practice it to bring down your heart rate like if you got a anything that can track your heart rate watch like people if you were to do an interview with somebody your heart rate would spike sure like your watch would know that you're going through that your your goal is to i'm going to practice this enough with an audience so that i get my heart rate at a normal pace mm-hmm. when i'm doing these things that your audience will see it you will feel better and you'll you'll think more clear as you're solving problems Absolutely. the worst thing i think i've ever i've always seen are smart people that lock up and freeze mm. when they have an audience and it's no like it's very subtle like i when i had students i'd walk behind them and they they couldn't type all of a sudden their typing is going all over the place They're like sure. i don't know what's wrong i'm like i'm st- i'm standing here that's what's wrong that anxiety kicks in for me like it is i'm no different and i've been doing this forever but i don't i don't code in front of people all the time yeah. Like it's completely different to have someone, my wife is now a front engineer. And if I start coding in front of her, I start making typos that I've like, like what the hell? Someone looking over your shoulder causes tension yeah, or it causes a change of environment. If you want to do better at it, you practice, you have to practice it. It's, it's really the thesis of the show, right? Is through practice, you can get better at this. And yeah. it's something that I, I'd never made the link to public speaking before. But it's it's funny, you mentioned that it, when I was in, in college, I think I had, you know, a, a presentation I had to make a speaking at a church and like, basically three public speaking events in a row. And I was terrible. I, I couldn't talk in front of people at all. Yeah. And those went so poorly that I went, okay, I know this, there has, it has to be possible to be better at this, right? I see people who are doing just fine. And so I went and, you know, tried. And then a year later, I was on an improv team that, you know, performed weekly. And the the change of over that time was literally just doing it, right? It still hurt oh, yeah. the first 50 times I did it, and it was painful, but then eventually you get more and more used to it. And I think it's the same idea with with this. The goal is, you know, in my first technical interview, I forgot how to write a function, right? I was like, yeah, I don't know how to solve. It was Fizzbuzz, right? I was like, I know how to solve the problem, but I literally cannot write. Like, I can't build you a function right now, right? And I, I got through it, but um, it's something that <laughs> yeah. it is just it's a practice thing, right? So I, I love to hear. So that on the so on the flip side, just to just to add, as an interviewer, I don't want to judge people on that anxiety Hmm. so my role or if there's any interviewers or people that are going to be like hopefully the people that are listening to this are an is an audience that will grow into a management role and can help improve these things later your job or i should say i should it behooves you to bring the anxiety level down yeah in your interviews not to raise it up you're not trying to hire people that can 
code in front of an audience as their job. Sure. Like, that's not what we, like, I've never hired someone because I'm like, wow, man, you are smooth with VS code when there's four people looking over your shoulder. Awesome. That's what I want. No, I want problem solvers that can work with other people, but I don't need people that like present code all day long. Um, That's not what I'm trying to do. That's not what I'm trying to hire. So when I go into interviews, my immediate goal is to put the person at ease as much as I can. And there's only so much you can do, but don't raise the pressure on them. Smile, joke around, be nice, like be pleasant as an interviewer, be a good host and make the person not feel like they are under the gun as part of your process. You want an honest answer from them and honesty involves emotion. And I want them to feel comfortable answering questions, whether they're technical. So even if I am, let's say I'm working for someone that tells me, you must give this person an algorithm. You must give this person FizzBuzz. I mean, I walk out anyway. But if I had to do it, I had no other choice. My first thing to this person would be like, hey, I know we're going to do, like, how comfortable are you with doing these? Like, I would just ask out flat out, how comfortable are you with doing like technical problems and if they tell me they're not i'm gonna bring down the tension i'm gonna like tell them stand up take a big breath you know i want you to feel comfortable with this because i want you at your best i don't want you i'm I'm not testing to see if you're like are you anxious doing whiteboard interviews that is not what i'm testing here and it's up to the interviewer it's up to the future juniors that are moving up this ladder into future leadership roles. Think about the like, think about that person's anxiety on the other side. The only way, like, if they aren't prepared, if they haven't practiced, help them out. Yeah. You want the best, you want them at their best, not at their worst. And so many people just seem to want to judge people on that whiteboard thing of like whoa they got so nervous it's like well don't you think that was your fault yeah perhaps not their fault like that's just not that's how it works so i think it does i i try to do that with everyone especially when i notice that someone's nervous bring it down like let's like like chill out i'm not here you don't need to feel anxious around me when we're talking most of the time it works. Sometimes I can't get past it. Like the person yeah. is just full of nerves. And, but most of the time I have found I can make progress with folks by having empathy for the level of anxiety they have on the other side of the screen. Yeah. Great. Well, before we move into a break and then uh, our second half here, do you have any interview horror stories from either side of the table that you're, you're willing to share? <laughs> oh yeah. So let's see. I interviewed with a education company in in Chicago. I'm gonna guess this was like five or six years ago. And I and they gave me a take-home test. It was a simple test. Or it was simple in the sense of I had done work like this before. And I didn't really want to do it, but I'm like, what the heck? I'll try it. 
And, but then I procrastinated on it because I was busy. I was like doing a full-time job. And then really like, that's the other thing about take-home tests. Like you're asking people to do this in the evenings and stuff. And what if they got a full-time gig? Do you really expect Uh them to blow their evenings on your stuff? But I, I went ahead and tried to do it. And the day I just like, I went down to the wire, like I got an extension and then, and then I, it was like homework at a, in college or something. And that night the power went out, this is up in Ravenswood power goes out. There was like the estimated time to get it back on was in that neighborhood sector was like two hours. So I had to go down to the, I had to walk all the way down to a Starbucks full it was a small starbucks that was full yeah i'm trying to get this thing done on the starbucks wi-fi and involved like github and i get in there and i'm like already burned an hour trying to find the right place to go to and i just like i got one i have one chance to get this right Uh and i totally bombed that and i just (laughs) i just ended up sending them a pile of crap and of course they rejected it and i explained the scenario i went through but i was like this is stupid like i've been doing like at this point i've been in the business 13 years or so and but it was just it was my experience enough with take homes to under to really realize that unless a person is unemployed mm-hmm. take home tests are a huge burden not to mention the fact that most people are interviewing with like five or six other companies. Yeah. So now they got six take-home tests. Like I'm expecting them to do all this stuff for me. I must really be working at this amazing place um, that I expect them to do this time on the, like on their free time. Plus the fact that when I went and looked up Google, I, I found the test. I'm like, crap, I could have like, I could have totally found the answer. You know? <laughs> so that was, yeah that was one disaster and then was another one oh there's another one where i remember i went in i mean my and this is just my approach to all technology i think i have a good understanding of when you build things the security holes that you need to look out for cross-site scripting all that i don't have a really in-depth knowledge of it i couldn't sit off here and ramble on every scenario and stuff and all the intricate details because when i get to that point i follow best practices i read up enough to know have i covered the bases am i am i using a tool that can kind of analyze and maybe give me pointers on it i'm not memorizing cross-site scripting but one of the things that this comp the interviewers in this test started doing was throwing explicit security hole questions my way to find out if I knew them and I was just like and I just kind of said at the end I'm like dudes I'm just gonna google this I'm not gonna I don't know I haven't memorized these things I know what cross-site scripting is I can explain it to you but I just this is not the type of thing I memorize and know by heart Uh and they were just like taken aback (laughs) that I would answer it that way and it showed like that was the last technical interview I participated on where I'm like, these dudes just want to gotcha stuff on me. Yeah. Um, and so those like, they were bombs, but they're in a way like I was kind of annoyed for about an hour after each. And then I'm like, eh, 
this is not how I want to work for companies and I don't want to interview them that way. But I found, but most of the time, what happens that is not a disaster is people want to talk to me about projects, problems, people, scenarios. Yeah. I can talk all day about how, like what we ran into and how we got past it, how I, how I do problem, how I approach research, how I approach problem solving, all that kind of stuff. But as soon as you get me into like the, the things, like I'm, I'm talking to you as someone that has worked past a lot of public speaking anxiety. Someone who has worked past working on a whiteboard in front of folks. Mm-hmm. The anxiety still, still raises. My heart rate yeah. will still go up when I'm all of a sudden asked to do that. Now, it hasn't been a while that I've done it, but it is completely normal. And so I would, in all the scenarios, whether it was doing a take-home test on a, on a time, kind of limited time basis, or doing that um, specific security analysis those guys wanted to do, yeah, I still got anxious. I still was like, the tension rose and when i felt myself failing it got worse it doesn't get better yeah yeah um so yeah like i've been through the ringer on that and looking back in hindsight for the take-home test if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna block off half a day Mm -hmm. like no excuse in the middle of the day not after hours middle of the day i have to take the time off from work or do it on a weekend yeah Lock the time off. Know what my back. If I need Wi-Fi, know what my backup is. Do the research to know, like, okay, what is this? What does this company typically do with their take-home tests? I could have found that out. I didn't yeah. look at it until after the fact. The on the interview with the other company, um, if security is a big part of what they're doing, I, I didn't ask. I didn't ask the HR person up front. What do they typically ask in these? If they had told me security and I really wanted to work there, I'm going to start researching a little bit more high detailed security stuff. It was Ruby on Rails, so it was an area that I already knew. And I would have been able to at least speak more coherently about security related things compared to I just was like, I didn't even, I don't, I haven't remember, I haven't looked at this stuff specifically in a long time. Yeah. So again, I could have been better prepared for the, for both of those scenarios than what I did. Um, well, that's a key point, I think, is always looking at back at interviews, regardless of how they went and going, what could I learn from this experience, right? Because yeah part of practicing is actually learning something from me you know there's there's one aspect of practice just through repetition you'll get better at something but also seeing looking at it critically and say where did i where was i successful where was i not successful and what can i take from this right yeah exactly a lot but i but i i do the other point there to make is if you ask if you if you're going to go in if you're going into an interview process ask yeah the people what to expect and they will like they will likely give you an hints like yeah if they don't if they're that opaque it's like okay maybe it's not a great candidate like but someone that can tell you how to be ready is at least a help every inch matters every little 
nugget of information you can get going into this. It's just like problem solving. What can I get to help me get to the answer faster? Same thing. Talk to HR, talk to your HR rep, talk to the recruiter who has yeah. talked to other recruits. Talk to, if you're in an interview with someone and you really connect with them well, ask them, what am I in store for next? Yeah, I've done that, but I've definitely done that. And I get like, oh yeah, the next person. Yeah, they're not very talkative, but they're pretty chill. And they'll ask you about this kind of stuff. I'm like, cool, great. That's all, but always be prodding for more information yeah. along the way. That's kind of the secret i guess it's the study guide the more prepped you can be like it, instead of going in knowing they could ask me about anything engineering or software development related yeah, right yeah. at least give me like a field to to focus on right it just it just makes it so much easier for you and it's a confidence thing if you go in feeling like at least i have some idea right like I, what i yeah. think they're gonna ask right versus just we'll see <laughs> yeah yep. Uh, yep. great well let's take our break here and then when we come back we'll move into the the I'll say not technical, technical portion. <laughs> yeah. Fizzbuzz. We're doing Fizzbuzz next, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for watching the first half of the professional technical interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode. So be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.